Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever had a time of experiencing great delight and that you couldn't stop walking around, being, be, beaming, beaming all over? And people would notice that and ask, what happened to him or her? The reply was, oh, you know, a precious item that was lost was found again. Or the job applied for was obtained. Or a person with a kindred spirit was met. Or a long period of study was blessed with first honors. Now, I personally, I vividly remember uh, that um, now some time ago, I walked around at a theological seminary as a student, beaming all over. I let you guess what had happened to me, for it's better to turn to examples from Scripture. Think of Adam. After sin in paradise, he had a bad conscience. Then he was not beaming at all. Yet, God didn't kill Adam and Eve in his wrath. Instead, he cared for them, clothed them, gave them his promise, the promise of life. And then, Adam sang his love song about Eve being the mother of all living. Also think of Joseph. Instead of wearing his beautiful garment of different colors, Joseph wore prison clothes in Egypt. That changed when he was promoted to vice regent in Egypt. being clothed in royal robes. Well, that would have brought great delight to him. You are familiar with what happened to Mordecai and Esther. A hate-mongering Haman was set on wiping out God's Old Testament people, wiping them, Israel, from the earth. And yet, instead of Mordecai, Mordecai who had, had made gallows in his garden to hang, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, Haman had made the gallows in his garden to hang Mordecai, instead, Haman himself was hanged, and Mordecai was royally honored. Clothed also, again, with royal robes. What a delight! What a delight must that have been for, for, for Mordecai and Esther. And now I refer uh, to the sermon I preached in January on Lord's Day 4. You might remember that Lord Day deals with God's wrath and punishment on man's rebellion in paradise. 
In that sermon, we also looked at the Lord's parable of the wedding banquet. We find it in Matthew 22. And then we heard that one man did not have the festive wedding garment on, and that he was bound and thrown, punished in hell. Though I and you deserve that punishment, we receive garments for that king's feast. And how? Well, that's the topic of Lord's Day 12. Lord's Day 12 shows it. This Lord's Day does not speak about doom and punishment and other things. On the contrary, it, it speaks about very delightful things. It refers to anointing. It mentions revealing God's will unto our redemption. And someone interceding for us, defending and preserving us in our safe life. Even us reigning over all creatures eternally. And then our confession and question answer 32 shows our new position uh, through Christ. Like him, we so to speak, we wear a multi-purpose garment of the threefold office as prophet and priest and king. Yes, through Christ's mediating work, the prophetic mantle, the priestly tunic, and the kingly robe is wrapped around you and me. Well, all that should make you beam, should make us beam with great joy. Like Psalm 45 expresses, my heart overflowed with, with flows with a pleasing theme. You see, the psalmist is bubbling over with joy. His theme is that the king is anointed with the oil of gladness. Be an everlasting blessing for his people. And as we will see, the king that is anointed is God's son, the son of God, unto our glorious life. So it's the joyful theme of this afternoon preaching. What fills us with joy? It's this. The anointing of the Lord Jesus as Christ. And us, you, as a Christian. So two points. Jesus' powerful calling as prophet, priest, and king. Secondly, our privileged calling as prophet, priest, and king. Congregation, the first reverent text of Lord's Day 12 is Psalm 45. And that psalm sounds indeed like a love song. But here we are not concerned with romantic affection. It's about the splendor and majesty of the king even because of his righteousness. In verse 7, we read that. 
He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. That's why God has anointed him with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. Now this psalm is a song for the theocratic king in Israel. And ultimately, it points to Jesus, the Messiah, to Christ. Hebrews 1 shows that connections, also mentioned as a, a, a reference text. And Hebrews 1, Psalm 45 is quoted. And so in the most loftiest words, it speaks about the Son of God. And he is lauded as the heir of all things. Because by his sovereign counsel, God the Father ordained and anointed his son Jesus to his powerful and eternal calling. From eternity, he was destined to make purification for sins, to loosen our bonds. The Heidelberg Catechism refers to this divine work by pointing to the secret counsel of God. In that counsel, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit worked together. They conferred with each other. They spoke about our redemption. Indeed, the three persons of God were actively involved in Jesus' calling in his work. That's actually what we read in Matthew 3, verse 13. That Jesus came to John at the Jordan. And he asked him the Lord Jesus asked John to baptize him. Now, that didn't seem right with John. Sinners needed to be baptized. Their sins had to be washed away. And they had to repent. That wasn't required of the Messiah that he had announced. But we have read the reaction of the Lord. It was... It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And by saying that, Jesus referred John to the word of God, since righteousness is obediently listening and living out God's word. And Jesus knew God the Father had ordained that the Messiah should take upon himself the sins and the guilt of God's people. And so as servant of the Lord, Jesus had to immerse himself in the people's evil life. And thus, through his baptism in the Jordan, Jesus immersed himself in the sins of his people. And then, after his baptism, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him in the form of a dove. And people heard God the Father say, 
this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In other words, through Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, through that baptism, he was confirmed to be the Christ. Thus, Christ's water baptism was followed by the spirit baptism of his father. And we read that spirit was descending on Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit did not just hover over Jesus, gently touch him. No, he remained on him. He rested on him as a prophet Isaiah announced already in chapters like Isaiah 11, 42, and 61. The Spirit is on Christ. As oil did, so the Holy Spirit covered Jesus, anointing him to be the Christ. Furthermore, the manner in which the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove points to Jesus' sacrificial work. Because what would the dove have reminded the Jews of? Well, at that time, a dove was the most frequently used sacrificial animal. The dove was gentle. It didn't resist capturing. And precisely that would be characteristic of Christ's work. He was gentle. Not the tall resisting him being taken for sacrificing his life. He would let himself be bound. And yes, be thrown into hell. The same was confirmed by John the Baptist as we read in the Gospel of John. That with great delight, John the Baptist pointed at Christ Jesus, after he came out of the Jordan, joyfully, John pointed at him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Indeed, beloved, the whole atmosphere around Jesus' baptism and the manner in which that happened clearly indicated he is a powerful Messiah, announced, prefigured throughout the whole Old Testament. He is the Christ. He is powerfully fulfilling all that the Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings prophesied, performed, and royally proclaimed. And against that background of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him, the Catechism speaks in about Christ's anointing, that he is our prophet, he is our ultimate prophet and teacher, and our only 
as our unique high priest and our eternal king. Now, in the Old Testament, those holy office bearers were ordained by oil. Psalm 45 speaks then about the oil of gladness. And that clearly indicates God's spirit gives strength and joy. He equips and he brings about God's redemptive works. The Heidelberg Catechism then describes his divine, his powerful calling as a threefold task. The prophetic one was to show and proclaim the true meaning of God's word. And Christ did so. Christ did so especially in the Sermon of the Mount. In that teaching, Christ calls God's people blessed because God's law doesn't condemn them. However, that doesn't mean that Christ abolished the law. He fulfills God's law. By doing that, he opens God's kingdom for us, his people. And also in his parables, as prophet and our teacher, in his, in his parables, he clearly instructs us what the will of God is for us, for our holy life, as citizens of God's kingdom. Indeed, the clear message of his prophetic teaching is, I am the Christ. I am the son of the living God. Life is only to be sought in me. And so, take my yoke upon you. And then, as the catechism also mentioned, he was ordained to be the only high priest. For the sacrificial work he had to perform, he didn't have to fetch a lamb to sacrifice that on the altar in the temple. Now, he himself, as John already announced, he is the lamb that would take away our sordid sins. Dying on the altar of the cross, he cleared the way unto our holy life with God. He is our righteousness. And you might know from history when Luther also understood that, that his righteousness was Christ for him. He said that was the door unto heaven, an open door to the new paradise. The book of Hebrews clearly shows that through him, as our only and unique high priest, Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And again, therefore, life is only to be sought in him. And furthermore, then, the Halber Catechism mentioned that his calling is to be our powerful internal king. So he is the one, Psalm 45, 
Verse 6 speaks, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. The truth and righteousness of God. And as king, he executes righteousness and therefore he gives peace. In this regard, I remind you of his call in Matthew 11. Come to me and I will give you rest. A rest that every Sunday we may celebrate and enjoy the rest of Christ. And don't forget what he said to the disciples when he gave them the great commission in Matthew 28. Then also he referred Christ Jesus referred to his kingly power by saying, All authority in heaven, in heaven and on earth is given to me. Yes, his speaking with authority is evidence that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He conquers sin and Satan, and he will establish that kingdom. As priest, he acquires that kingdom. And as king, he rules that kingdom. Again, I say, life is only to be sought in him. He is our Christ. And so beaming with joy, our hearts overflow with a pleasing theme like the poet in Psalm 45. In Christ, Alone my hope is found. He is my light. He is my strength. Yeah, he is my all in all. And beloved, we need to continue to beam with great delight. Why? Well, Scripture has been fully opened. Lord say 12. Here, Scripture is fully opened by focusing on Jesus being the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then at the same time, it is true that the focus then also turns to us, to you, to me. Yes, the personal pronoun is used here so it is addressed to everyone here to everyone who listens to the preaching of this word also this afternoon everyone is involved and addressed you in the pew at home who listens also there Well, and now I remind you of the previous sermon I preached, or did you refer to? You know, the feedback I received on the sermon on Lord's Day 4, in January I preached that, with uh, the reference to Matthew 22 in regard to the festive wedding garment. You know, feedback of members was very joyful. It was jubilant. I am wearing 
the wedding garment, I'm wearing that. And then, then that personal I, that pronoun, was correctly applied and even with great, with great delight. The same is now the case when we focus on Lord's Day 12. The I in question and answer 32 is for the full 100% you. All of you here who are baptized in Christ by the Spirit at the commandment of the Father, you as Christian, you are clothed with, so to speak, a three-piece garment suited for carrying out your calling as prophet, priest, and king. And so I'm standing this afternoon, I'm standing in front of prophets, priests, and kings. In front of me are prophetesses, priestesses, and queens. And our youth, the children here, also they have noble names. The children are never out of the picture, not here in church either. They have noble names too, for they are princes and princesses growing up to those positions of being prophet, priest, and king too. And so, beloved, all of you, old and young, young and old, you are encouraged making that beautiful Psalm 45 your own. That you live with great joy and delight and pray to God. For prayer, you know, prayer is the way to get our focus on a joyful attitude, the focus on a beaming attitude. Yes, by prayer you get first and foremost your focus right. Because prayer directs you to an external source of truth. Of truth and light. And you know who that is. That is the eternal God. The one who speaks in his word. Also this afternoon, the one who speaks is the word of salvation. Prayer, beloved, prayer is super important. Without prayer, you will quickly, quickly just look and be focused on your inner self. How you are, how your own weak and sinful flesh will dominate you then quickly. But alas, your own self will not do you good. If in church we hear the confession speak about you being prophets, priests, and kings, and about the tasks that come with those positions, the first thing in your mind should not be 
Oh, I have to do that. This and that and so much more. Or I am pushed in doing this or that and many other things. I cannot. Or even worse, I do not want to all to do that all. What is, however, the believing attitude with the effect that your heart will bubble over when you look who you are and what you are called to do? As question answer 32 summarizes on the basis of God's word. Indeed, indeed. You need to fall on your knees and implore your holy God and Father what his will is for you, for you how to serve as prophet, priest, and king. And you need to pray, you need to do that with an open Bible so that you will become aware of having received the privilege of being co-workers of God. That's who we all are co-workers of God. And what will happen with such a prayer? Then you are not thrown on yourself. Not at all. For God's word will affirm you that Jesus Christ, through his spirit, is your strength and salvation. And then you rejoice of being restored and showing the image of God, that image we lost in paradise. You rejoice it's being restored through Christ. And therefore, question answer 32 states the accelerating truth that through God's Spirit, the anointing of Christ flows on you as some. 133 says, then you don't just feel something, but you are. You are somebody. For you come to acknowledge, I'm a Christian. And I have the knowledge, or even if you like, I have the wisdom as a prophet. I have the holiness as a priest and I have the righteousness as a king. Yes, like the prophet Joel said, it seems as if you are then dreaming because you discover, hey, I'm wearing, so to speak, a three-piece garment. I'm wearing a prophetic mantle, a priestly tunic, and even a royal robe. In that three-piece garment, you witness of yourself a great change. My tongue, he says, my tongue starts to confess Christ's name. In a lawless society around us, I show, that's what you experience, what you witness in yourself, 
Now I show what the will of Christ is. As Jesus taught in the Sermon of the Mount. Further, next. You also are dismayed about all the misery around you. That many don't care about others. Their own self is the most important thing in their life. But then, in such a world, the mercy of Christ will flood your hearts. And you rejoice. Say, hey, I'm taking up my priestly task. Thinking and saying, I will help my neighbor. He or she needs my care. And also, I will choose a job or I will choose work in which I can alleviate the sorrows and pain of others. Yes, I will take upon myself a serving task. And I want to imitate my Savior's care. And then you are taking up your arrows and sharpen them. Yes, you take up your armory and you locate the enemies of God. Why? Well, as Scripture says, we face many enemies in this life. For this life, this world is still under the ruler of this world. That's the evil one. As we read in 1 John 5, verse 19. 1 John 5, verse 19. That ruler is still the tempter and the murderer from the beginning. That's Satan. And you will experience that he is very cunning. Not even shying away from using scripture. Yes, distorts God's word. And you observe this. The devil is so sly in making use of my weaknesses and sin. Oh, what are his schemes treacherous? And you admit, I couldn't royally fight against him in all evil if I won't stand at the power of Christ execute my royal work my kingly task and so beloved in that respect we can still fall prey of the worry having or getting a bad conscience that will happen though if we fight on the strength of our inner feelings. Because they don't give us firmness and clear direction. As I said before. Christ only, the anointed one. Christ will give us courage, help and strength. And that's what we need as co-workers of God. Now, beloved, the assurance of giving us strength and help doesn't mean that our actual life always will be good. 
and a rosy one. Tell me about it. Sin and death still cause us much emotional strain, feeling pain, giving great sadness and sorrow. And such feelings make us cry. As Lord Jesus himself did at the death of his friend Lazarus. And yet congregation, even in deep grief, gratitude, delight still abounds. Living in Christ, serving him, fighting for him, prophet, priest, and king, and will give you, the catechism says, a free conscience and the assurance of victory. If we have our life in Christ alone, we don't have to be afraid of the wrath of God. And to be afraid that we will be bound at hands and feet, being thrown into hell. No, because Christ suffered that ordeal, as you know, on Good Friday. And therefore, in all our weaknesses and sins, we need to seek and have our life and strength only in him. Through the means, as indicated, by constant prayer. We do not then disobey his word. And we always long to put on and to wear to be truly Christians, wearing that three-piece suit, prophet, priest, and king, and that in all circumstances. Having that longing, we, as the poet of Psalm 45, we may bubble over with great delight. And in this joy, let's apply the words of 1 Peter 2 that we also read this afternoon. Let's be assured, as Christians, we can be assured. So let's be assured that we are God's people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that proclaim the excellencies of him. And we only have touched a little bit of those excellencies. We may continue throughout our lives, time and again, especially on every day of rest, every week through the Bible, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness to his wonderful light, his marvelous light. Confirming this truth with your amen, be assured that your three-piece suit of prophet, priest, and king will be changed into a festal wedding garment entering the feast of God triune. And then you will be fully restored in the image of God 
eternally, the catechism says, the last line, eternally reigning over all creatures. It was a task before the fall into sin in paradise, having dominion over all creatures. Now, if that perspective, beloved, doesn't make your heart bubbling over with great delight, what else will? What else will make you walking around being all over? What else than being a faithful Christian? And then beaming with joy, sing, in Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light. He is my strength. Yes, he is my song. Amen. And let us sing that hymn as Amen song. <laughs>